If you love him this morning, would you shout amen? Amen. 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 Well, welcome to our Frontline Church. Welcome to everyone joining us in the house, as well as those joining us online. Church, it's my privilege to be with you as we lift up the name of our Lord and Savior and our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. He is the reason we gather together, and it's all about Him, and it's all for Him. Amen. Amen. Before you take your seats, let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning and we submit our lives to you in the name of Jesus. We are so privileged to gather as your church and to study your word that produces fruit and brings transformation and restoration in our lives. Lord, we ask today that through your word you would sharpen the focus of our minds and open the eyes of our hearts so that your word would prosper in us and accomplish all that has been sent forth to do. Lord, as we continue in our series on the book of Acts, we ask that you would highlight from your word today what it really means to be a Christ follower and not just someone who knows about you. If there is any counterfeit belief within us, reveal that today so that we can represent you the way that you deserve. We pray this in the magnificent name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. You may take your seats this morning. Church, we are in the book of Acts again this morning. We've taken about a a five-week break from the series. And last time we finished off in Acts chapter 7 where we looked at the amazing character and the short life of a man by the name of Stephen. He was an exceptional man, a man chosen by the people. He was a man who everybody deemed to be a servant and yet a miracle worker, a great preacher, and the first Christian martyr. The scripture tells us that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of grace and full of power as a result of being full of the Spirit. And what an example he has set for every Christian that has followed. His martyrdom, in fact, was the very catalyst which launched the gospel beyond Jerusalem into the rest of the world. Which is where we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 8. As we now begin to see the results of the gospel spreading and revival breaking out. So we're in Acts chapter 8 this morning, if you want to go there in your Bibles. And the subtitle for today's message is, Beware of Counterfeit Christianity. Beware of Counterfeit Christianity. And quick question for you this morning. Do you think that Satan is for or against religion? Do you think he wants religion to die or or to continue and increase? Satan is very comfortable for religion to abound so that your relationship with Jesus can be diminished. Satan is not against religion. And you're going to find out today that Satan uses religion as one of his main tools in deceiving believers and even non-believers. Hold on to that thought as we go through the word today. So in Acts chapter 8, there was a revival in Samaria. Let's read about it beginning in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. There's always great joy when Jesus is present. There's always joy when there is real revival. But notice now in verse 9 how the subject changes. It says, but. Underline in your Bible the word but. Church, something important for us to understand is that when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, Satan opens the doors of hell to blast us and condemn us. And whenever there is revival, you can expect satanic opposition. Verse 9 says, But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to pick up the reading in just a moment. But I want to talk to you about counterfeit Christianity. Church, the word counterfeit means to make an exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or to defraud. The devil is a counterfeiter. And what he does rather than to deny the faith is he counterfeits the faith. And that is very dangerous. And I'm going to tell you something in case you didn't know it. If you live for God, you are going to have opposition. You're going to have demonic opposition, right? Whether you're an individual or it's a church. An old pastor once made the statement. He said, if you've never met the devil, it's because you and the devil are heading in the same direction. That's quite hard, right? <laughs> you have to turn around and then rather be in collusion with the devil, you have to find yourself in collision with the devil. That's a strong statement. So coming back to our text, there's great joy in the city, but Satan now begins to work. And church, there are three things that I want to lay on your heart as we think this morning about counterfeit Christianity. Three things that I want you to be aware of. If you take your notes this morning, number one, don't be astonished. Don't be bedazzled by the satanic force of counterfeit Christianity. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now, church, here was a man who was using sorcery. Sorcery is just another word for witchcraft. And church, don't think that this is, this is just something that happened in Bible times. Witchcraft is alive and well in our world today. Witchcraft is alive and well in our own country. Witchcraft is even prevalent in some churches. 
And many people will be dazzled by this and they fail to understand that there is satanic supernatural power at work. You see, what Simon the sorcerer was doing was not just a bag of cheap tricks. It's not just that he was an illusionist. He was in union with Satan. He was in collusion with Satan. And you see, church, the devil is getting ready for Satan's ruler that will enforce the mark of the beast. He's going to come on the scene, and one of his main tools is going to be sorcery and witchcraft. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it speaks of the coming Antichrist, and it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That means miracles that will deceive you. During the Great Tribulation, demonic forces are going to be loosed on the earth and leading the nations of the world toward Armageddon. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, the, the Bible describes some of these unclean spirits. It says, they are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Demonic spirits. And you know, church, sometimes people will say, what's the big deal with dabbling in a bit of different spiritual activities? They get involved in ancestral worship or other, some other form of witchcraft, like visiting a fortune teller or looking to the stars to predict your future or meditating while some yoga master leads you into a state of inner peace so that you can find your inner lake. And people say, what's the big deal? Is that really that bad? I heard a story about an American missionary that traveled to Africa in the early 20th century. And he was a strong Christian, very faithful to his calling. And he tells of how he went to a remote part of Africa and how he had met this witch doctor that had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And how this witch doctor had been practicing sorcery and magic and had been in union with Satan, now had given his heart to Christ and was saved. The missionary went to visit him to confirm him in the faith. They had a wonderful time together and fellowshiped together in the Lord. And when the missionary was heading on his way out, he noticed there was a fire, and this witch doctor had some of his religious magic artifacts and paraphernalia there, and he was going to burn it in the fire. The missionary said to him, what are those things, right? What are those things? He said, these are the things that I do witchcraft with. And I'm going to burn them because I've now given my heart to the Lord. The missionary said, don't burn those things. People back home don't understand these things. They've never seen these kinds of things. Would you let me take them and show the people? The witch doctor said, you don't want to do that because those things have power. He said, you know what, I don't really believe all of that stuff. You know what, I'll be fine. Let me take that stuff and I'll burn it when I get back once I've shown the people. He said, okay, you're the one that's come to confirm my faith. You know what, I'm going to honor you. You're welcome to take that stuff. The missionary said, I took those artifacts and on our way back home, we had to stop in camp. We pitched our tent and in the middle of the night, I heard this noise in the tent. He said, I looked down and those artifacts that he had put in the bag were quivering and they were shaking and they were making a very strange sound. And he had realized at that point what a fool I had been. He got up that night, lit a fire, and burned them. 
You see, church is not mere superstition. There is demonic magical power in this world today. And I want to caution you, don't dabble in the occult or, or black magic or any other form of satanic ritual. Don't be astonished by the satanic force of counterfeit Christianity. If you don't turn and burn it, it'll eventually turn on you and burn you. Now here's the second point. First of all, don't be astonished by the satanic force of counterfeit Christianity and number two, don't be deceived by the shallow faith of counterfeit Christianity. Not all religion is in the occult. Sometimes it moves its way, church. Not all counterfeit religion is in the occult. Sometimes it finds its way into the church. Let's pick up the scripture again from verse 13. And remember, Simon has been practicing witchcraft, but now notice verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Underline in your Bibles where it says, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, notice in verse 17, Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be bought or be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Church, what's happening here is you have a man that was an unbelieving believer. He was not a true Christian. His faith was superficial and shallow. You see, he's not believing in the master. He's believing in and chasing after the miracles. He sees the power being manifested there by the New Testament church, and he wants to be a part of it, but he has never really met the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, Pastor, but it says he believed. Wasn't he saved? Look at verse 21 again. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. You see, God works miracles. Satan counterfeits miracles and works demonic miracles. And church, what's the one of the most important principles for us to abide by as Christ followers? Never follow the experience. Never follow miracles. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Simon never did really and truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why his heart wasn't changed. And you see, church, this is a bit of a bold statement, but not all belief is saving belief. Not all belief is saving belief. In John chapter 2, Jesus had performed some miracles in Jerusalem, 
and in some other places, and people saw it. And when people saw the miracles that Jesus did, they began to follow him. Not because they wanted Jesus, not because they had repented of their sin, but because they saw the miracles and they followed him for the miracle's sake. Look what it says in verse 23 to 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Keep that scripture up for a few moments. Church, those two words, believe and commit, are the same words in the Greek language. It's the word pistio. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's the same word, just translated differently. So you could say that many committed themselves to him, but he did not commit himself to them. Or many believed in him, but he did not believe in them or the intentions of their hearts. You see, not all Jesus' followers at that time were genuine followers. They believed in him like Simon the sorcerer, but he did not believe in them. Now church, what does that mean? What does that statement mean? That means that there are many Christians who say they are believers, but they're actually not saved. There are many Christians that know the plan, but they don't know the man. They've seen what God has done, but there's never been a change of heart. You say, Pastor, but doesn't the Bible say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? Yes, it does. But the Bible also says that even demons believe and tremble. And you see, there's a shallow kind of faith that never really comes and bows the knee to Jesus Christ and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the superficial faith of counterfeit Christianity. There was a study done some years back on how many Christians there were in the United States of America. We don't have this, many of those studies like that in our country, so I'm making reference to this. But what's interesting in the study is that it said that at least a third of the country called themselves born-again believers. They believe they had made a spiritual decision that is right for them and their family. But what's even more interesting, church, is that of the third that said that they believe, half of those people also affirm that the various religions of the world are equally good and true. And around 25 to 30 percent of them believed in reincarnation and astrology. And so, what this study shows us, church, is that there are people who say that I'm a believer, but they don't necessarily believe in the doctrines of the Bible, and they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They believe in astrology. They believe in in reincarnation. They believe in all of these things are in, are, that are emphatically taught against in the Bible. And church, what we have today is a generation of people who are, quote, very spiritual, but they do not believe the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude speaks about this in Jude chapter 1. He writes a letter and he says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else 
urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Many churches are filled with people who have had spiritual experiences but haven't been truly born again because they've been taught incorrect doctrine and taught to chase the experience, not the only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And church, something we need to know is that not every teacher, not every pastor, not every evangelist or prophet is from God. We need to, believe, we need to understand that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Don't be astonished at those who pose as apostles of Christ. For even Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. Don't let the basis of your salvation be an experience or because you look up to somebody. Let it be based rather on the words of Jesus, where he says in, in John chapter 5 verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me shall have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. So don't be astonished by the satanic force of counterfeit Christianity. Don't be deceived by the shallow faith of counterfeit Christianity. And number three, church, don't be destroyed by the selfish focus of counterfeit Christianity. Church, do you know what is the fuel that empowers counterfeit religion? It is pride. It is pride. Now, you don't have to think too hard as you read Acts chapter 8 to see that Simon the sorcerer is, is full of himself. He is just focused on himself. We've already read how he wants to buy the power of God, and, and Peter tells him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And let me tell you something, church. Counterfeit and self-centered Christianity brings two things. The root is pride. And let me tell you about the fruit. Peter says to him in verse 23, For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. That's a good verse to learn about counterfeit Christianity. The root is pride and the fruit is bitterness, jealousy, and bondage. Peter said, look, Simon, I'm going to diagnose your heart. You are bitter and you are in bondage. I perceive that there is in you this bitterness and bondage because your heart is not right in the sight of God. And you know what? That's one of the biggest reasons why so many churches have trouble. There are people who are bitter and who are in bondage. They have met religion. They've never really met Jesus. They've never been broken at the foot of the cross. They've never left their pride in the dust. They've come into church for what they, not for what they can give, but for what they can receive. They've never met Jesus. The Spirit of God is not in these people. And they are troublemakers wherever they go. Because their religion has never satisfied them and it never will. They are disillusioned, 
and they have unfulfilled desires and they get in for the wrong reason and they leave for the wrong reason. They're like Simon, full of bitterness, full of bondage, and they will never be satisfied. And my counsel to everyone listening this morning, don't ever follow a troublemaker. Don't ever follow someone who has left a church because of pride, bitterness, or offense, and they're going to now start up their own church because they can't submit to leadership or to authority. Don't follow those people because they are full of bondage. They are in union with Satan because no true believer will bring disrepute to the body of Christ. A person who has the Spirit of God in them will not behave that way. Church, all counterfeit Christianity is self-centered. It's all about what I can get out of it. So my three points this morning, there is the satanic force, there is the shallow faith, and the selfish, selfish focus of counterfeit Christianity. And I want to tell you again, church, that the devil is not opposed to religion. He's in it up to his ears. And it'll be a great day in our world and in our churches when people stop enduring religion and start enjoying salvation to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a story about a, a woman who was alone in her house one day and she heard a knock on the door. She opened the door and a man standing there, he asked her a very simple question. He said, ma'am, do you know God? Do you know God? She was a bit flustered, taken back by the question. She stuttered and stammered. She was embarrassed, not knowing what to say. So she just stepped back and, and slammed the door. Right? The man bowed his head and, and walked away. Later that evening, her husband came home and she said, Let me tell you what happened. A man knocked at the door of our house and he asked me a question. He asked me if I knew God. And you know what I did? I just slammed the door in his face. I feel so bad. I wish I could find him to apologize. Apologize, the husband said. You should have slammed the door in his face. What gave him the right to ask you such a question? Why didn't you tell him that we are part of the, the biggest and most influential church in our community? She said, honey, he didn't ask that. He asked if I knew God. Well, why didn't you tell him we are reputable people, that we have a good reputation, that we are well known in this community? He didn't ask that. He only asked me if I knew God. And that's the question I want to ask you today. Not are you a, a partner of Frontline Church. Not do people think you're fine. Not do you have manners or culture. Not even do you have religion. Do you know God? Are you saved? Such a simple question, right? But probably one of the most important questions we'll ever have to give an account for. Do you know God? Are you saved? And if there is any doubt in your mind this morning, maybe you've been sort of an unbelieving believer. Maybe you've had an intellectual faith. And maybe you've been impressed with miracles and you've been chasing after experiences or looking to man for divine direction. Maybe you've said you're a Christian, but you still go to fortune tellers and you promote the beliefs of other religions. Maybe you're dabbling in the occult or witchcraft. 
Maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but you still practice ancestral worship and you are under the stronghold of Satan. If that in any way represents you this morning, church, you need to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and with a repentant and believing heart, you need to give your whole life to Him. Because you see, church, it's not Jesus and other religions. It's not Jesus and fortune tellers. It's not Jesus and witchcraft. It's not Jesus as long as there's signs, wonders, and miracles. It's just Jesus. It is just Jesus. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And if there is any doubt in your mind this morning, whether you've been a so-called Christian your whole life, or you're hearing about Jesus for the first time this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow your knee this morning and confess and give your whole life to Jesus and only Jesus. So I'd just like for everyone to just to bow their heads for a moment, just to respect what God is going to do. And if that is you this morning, if you want to take a knee, you can do that. If you can't kneel, you can stand. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I just believe the Lord is saying, don't skip this moment. If the Lord is speaking to you right now, be obedient. Today is your day of salvation. I'm going to give you a few moments. The word, let the, the word work in your heart. Let the Lord work in your heart for a few moments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you that you went to the cross to die for our sins. If that is you this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. If you're listening online, if that's you as well, let's pray. Father God, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner. I know that you love me, and I know that you want to save me. Father, I believe that your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary and died for my sins. And because of that, I am willing to turn from my sin. I confess Jesus as my Lord, and with my whole heart, I believe that God raised him from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my only personal Savior. And according to His word, right now, I am saved. I take myself off of the throne of my life, and I enthrone the Lord Jesus. From today, I declare that my life belongs to you. I am now your child, and I am privileged to call you Father. Now open up my heart to receive your love and all that you have for me. I receive the Holy Spirit of God to lead me, to guide me, and to teach me all the days of my life. I receive salvation as a free gift, and I'm prepared to serve you and only you for the rest of my days. I pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. 
Everybody said, Amen. Can we thank the Lord for salvation? Can we thank the Lord for what He's done in each of our lives? And can we thank you for His word this morning, church?